is a, a great song, and I don't know if y'all know the, I'm sure some of you probably know the story behind the song. A man named Horatio Spafford wrote that song, and uh, his family was traveling overseas back in the 1800s, and he was in Chicago, and he got word from his wife that the ship had wrecked, and his family, all of his children, had died. And so as he was coming across the sea himself, they stopped the ship where his family had died, and he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, which is just a powerful story, knowing that God can take the brokenness in our lives, and then God can take that brokenness, and He can work it for something good. I was uh, reading a story in the paper a few weeks ago, and it was talking about a man, an artist, that was living in Uganda. And as he was living there, he was walking around the streets, and as he's walking around the streets, there's just trash everywhere. He said the kids didn't have anywhere to play, and because he was an artist, he was trying to think of a way that he could try to take that trash and make something good out of it. And so he took all the plastic and the bottles and the sacks, and he turned it, he turned it, put them together and turned it into a playground. And so these kids that had nowhere to play, all of a sudden, were able to see that trash that was everywhere be used in order to bring them joy in their lives. Now, when I read that story, I thought that is exactly what God does with people. God looks down on us and he sees our brokenness and he sees our, just how messed up we are in life. And yet he is able to take it and to put it back together in order to make something wonderful out of it. So what the Bible teaches us, we're told in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. And so today, my hope is as we, as we go through our text, as we look at our message today, that we're going to grasp the power of the message of God and see that it is big enough, that God is big enough to pull you out of any ditch that you are in in life right now, and He is able to restore you. And that's part of the reason why we're going through this series called Vintage Church, uh, the purpose of this series is simply to look back at some ancient teachings in Scripture and see that they, they still matter for us today. That they still matter for your life and my life today. Now, I know one thing that it's easy to do is it's easy to look at, at culture and to look at society as it's, it's sort of passed by Scripture. And so many times what we try to do is we try to take the Bible and we try to make it fit and be, and be relevant for our culture today. Man, I don't think we have to do that. And, and the reason why is because I believe this. I believe that truth is truth for all generations, regardless of time. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see a guy named Paul, the guy who wrote the letter we're going to be looking at today, pointing out one of the great benefits that comes with being a follower of God. And we're going to look at the ancient term today that's called redemption. And so we're going to talk about the importance of redemption in your life and in my life today. And so, you know, sometimes I think what happens is we look at some ancient terms in the Bible like redemption and forgiveness and restoration and all these things, and, and we can get real used to them to where they don't mean as much to us anymore. 
But I really hope that we'll look at it today and see the power that comes with redemption. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look today in Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to look in two verses. So if you have your Bible and you want to look there, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 7 and 8. And as I said, Paul is the one who wrote this letter. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, as usual, Paul is in prison. And almost every time you look at Paul writing a letter, he's in jail because of his faith. And so as he's writing this letter, it's about 62 A.D., he was trying to write to all the churches that he'd helped start throughout the Roman Empire. And he's trying to help them stay on track in their relationship with God. To try not to conform to culture, but instead to conform to what God's Word has to say. And he had to do it because there were, there were teachers that were coming in teaching a whole lot of garbage about the faith. And so the result is that some people had forgotten what Jesus had done for them. And one of the things they'd forgotten about what Jesus had done for them was that he had brought redemption into people's lives. And so today I just want us to look at a few elements or important things about redemption. And the very first thing I want to point out about redemption is that it brings freedom. Redemption just simply is talking about freedom. And if you look in verse number 7, it says, In him, it's meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, if somebody needs to be redeemed, what that conversely means is that they are in trouble, that they are enslaved by something. And the whole subject of redemption was something that would have resonated with this audience. Because like I said last week, slavery was very commonplace in the Roman Empire during this time. At this time, there were over 62 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so if you wanted to have freedom, if you wanted to have any clout back during this day, you had to be a citizen. And there were some great things about being a Roman citizen. It meant that you could vote. If you're a citizen, it meant that you could own property. You, know, you could have your own business. If you were, if you were a citizen, it, it meant that the Roman government could not, could not bring you into prison and beat you. I mean, there's some great things about being a citizen. And so the question I'd have is, well, if that's true, how do I become a citizen? You know how you became a citizen mainly during this day? You had to be born into the family, uh, to a family that were already citizens. So that's good if your mom and dad were citizens. Not so good if you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. And so the question that I have spiritually is, well, is there any way that I can become a citizen in God's family? Is there any way that I can experience redemption in God's family. Now, if I'm, just, if I'm just relying upon my family heritage, I'm in trouble. And the reason why is because the Bible says that sinfulness in the life of a person disqualifies us in a relationship with God. In John 8, 34 and 35, it says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Okay, now let me ask you all a question. Who all has sinned? And don't point at the person next to you. Okay, who, who all sin? It said, everybody has. Okay, so if that's true, then what does it say? It says that you are a slave to sin. It says, now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or a citizen belongs forever. 
Now, what makes us so unfortunate? That's the good news, but what makes it unfortunate is we've all messed up. We've all sinned. And that's why verse number 7 is tremendously powerful. It's an ancient idea, but it's so powerful for us today. Because if you look in verse number 7, it tells us that Jesus came to redeem us. The word redeem is a great term. It means to release. It means to set free. It was the picture of a person going into a slave market and buying a slave and then bringing them out of the slave market and saying, you can go on your way. I have paid for your freedom. Okay, so what's the point Paul's making here? He's he's letting us know that we are enslaved. But if we want freedom, then we need somebody to come into the slave market and pay for us to have freedom. Now... If you want to have freedom, or if you want to buy something, the first question is, well, how much does it cost? How much does it cost to have freedom? How much would it cost me to be redeemed from my sin? It costs like a thousand dollars. You know, five hundred thousand is going to cost a million dollars. Well, what I discover in Scripture is the price is more than you and I could ever pay, because the price to be paid is perfection. Now, there's only one who's ever lived a perfect life, and it's Jesus. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, for people, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus, amazingly, in His perfection, gave Himself up for us. He paid for us, paid for our sin, that we might have the opportunity to be purchased by Him. Now, the question I've always had is, well, why did he have to die? I mean, why can't he just like pull out some bills and just pay for our freedom instead of undergoing such suffering? Because that's what, price, that, that's what sin demands. It demands death. The Bible says that if we follow after sin, that it leads us to destruction, that it leads us to death, and, and it kills us, and it separates us from God. So Jesus stepped in our place, And he took death for us that we might have freedom. And this whole idea comes back from the Old Testament. If if y'all remember in the Old Testament, you might remember the story of the Passover. Remember whenever the the Hebrew people were in captivity in Egypt for like 400 years? For you movie buffs, Prince of Egypt, y'all remember that? The cartoon movie? Okay, so what's what's going on in that whole story is that, that God wants to redeem his people. And he's going to pull them out of slavery. So he sends ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And the last plague is God says, I am going to destroy every firstborn unless you take a lamb without blemish and you sacrifice it and you take its blood and smear it over the doorframe of your house. And then when the angel of death comes, it says he will pass over you. Pass over you because your, your price has been paid. We're told in Exodus 12, 12, and 13, it says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I'm Yahweh. And I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be the distinguishing mark for you. And God says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It says, no plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
And so years later, Jesus came to be the Passover lamb for us and to die on a cross so that whenever we are covered by his blood, when we submit ourselves to him, then his blood becomes a payment for us so that instead of us being killed by sin, we now have life. And yet it's a story we hear so many times, I'm afraid that we're blinded to the message, redemption. As every once in a while, we just need to, we need to put on the glasses of what God's Word says so that we can see clearly and see the message of hope that God brings us. I, I want to sh- share with y'all, I, I, I happened to see a video. Um, it, was, uh, it was on a, uh, a news line, and the video went viral, and I saw it, and I said, I've got to show this video in church. Now, I want you to bear with me. The guy's not wearing a shirt, because so, he's, uh, anyway, so ladies, please forgive me. So he's not wearing a shirt, but it's a great story. Now here's the here's the sub here's what's going on in the story. A man is uh, getting ready for his daughter's wedding. He's colorblind, and uh, what recently what's been what's happened is they've developed some new glasses called Enchroma glasses for colorblind people. This man is severely colorblind. He's never really seen color before, and his son buys him these glasses, and he puts on the glasses, and for the first time in his life, he sees like God intended for man to see. And so I just want, you, I want to show you the video, then I'll, I'll wrap it up and so that you can kind of understand what happens when we see like God wants us to see. Well, Phil, show the video for me. Do something for Father's Day. Retirement home? Uh, that's huh? later. Retirement home? That's later. Yeah. We got you a room, private room, and we figured that you could use some sunglasses. <laughs> put, them on. put them on. Wow, are you serious? No way. No way. I'm serious. Put them on. This is cool. Leave them on for about 10 minutes. I don't have 10 minutes, Brian. I really don't. He's got to get. All right. Uh, yeah. My hair look okay now? Yeah, it looks God, it was like. Mmm. Ain't got much hair, but it really messes me up. Do you see a difference? Yeah, but I, I don't know what it is. Look at Braden's shirt. At shirt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. There's a difference. Can you see a difference? Yeah, but... It's called color. No. No way. You're colorblind. They help you see colors. No, seriously, that's not... Look. Is this yellow or green? Look at mom's eyes. Do they look different? <laughs> Are you serious? No way. Stop it. Stop it. Is this? No. What is, what is this? <laughs> what is it though? I don't get it. It's color. <laughs> they help you see colors. You're colorblind. No. I don't understand that. Oh my god. Is this yellow or is this green? <laughs> I, uh, that's green. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's so different. Are you, how does this work? <laughs> no. The longer you wear them, the better they'll, they'll be too. See Greg's shirt? We all got them for you. Mine's <laughs> for the wedding. So you can see it in color. 
This is so weird. <laughs> I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know. That's He's awesome. Like, His shirt's yellow. Green shirt. That's green. banana now? Yep. yep, that's banana. Uh, banana. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, here. Yeah. <laughs> Skittles? M&M's? Can you see the difference in those now? Yeah, can you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, That's orange. That's orange. This is green. green. This is yellow. Banana, yeah. Banana. <laughs> and that's brown. We won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go get dressed. Alright, bye. God, how does this work? I told you. <laughs> how does it work? God wants to give us sight because we've never seen before how he changes our lives. And, and one of the things that God shares with us that so many of us don't know is that God wants us to experience freedom, to know what it's like to live in freedom. And that is why he came and he gave himself for us. So, so the first element that comes with redemption is there is freedom. But another part of redemption is this whole idea of forgiveness, and, and we're told this in verse number 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Now we're all in need of redemption because we are enslaved by sin. We are blinded, so to speak. We are blinded by sin and we don't understand what it means to have freedom. And that is why that God brings in the whole idea of forgiveness. Now, now why do we need forgiveness? Well, we need forgiveness because we're all guilty of participating in sin. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 3.23. It says we've all sinned. Romans 3.10 says that there is no one righteous. No, not even one. And so there's a price to pay. Now, now what is the price of sin? Well, it's separation from God. It is death. But then you look in verse number 7 and it tells us that sin's power is erased because of God's forgiveness. That, that word forgiveness, it means to cancel a debt. To grant a pardon. Doesn't mean that God just sloughs off sin like it's no big deal. Oh, don't worry about that. I mean, there was a price that was paid for it. If you look in verse number 7, it tells us in Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption. It says, through His blood. Jesus paid the price of our sin, and it was something that carried with it a great cost. So, so what does it mean? What does forgiveness mean for us? It means that God offers to pay for our cost of sin, the past, for the present, and even for the future. It means that your sin is completely paid for. We're told in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, now practically, here's how this works. Whenever you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times whenever you will sin against God. And you're going to do things, some, you might even do something deliberately against what God says. And then the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin. And then at that point, it is our responsibility to confess our sin to God, to ask for His forgiveness, to confess. And I know many of us do that, but then for some reason we, we have a hard time accepting it. And we're like, yeah, it's like the devil's whispering in our ear saying, you call yourself a Christian and that's what you've done again? Well, there's, there's no way that you can be forgiven for that. You've done that way too many times. And on the surface, you can look at that and say, you know, the devil might be right. 
So how do we answer that? Well, here's the great way that we can answer that. We can, we can tell the devil and we can assure ourselves and say, you know what, thank God my salvation is not based on my performance. It's not based on what I've done. You know what it's based on? It is based on what Jesus has done. What has Jesus done? Jesus went to the cross and once and for all, he paid for your redemption. It's not something that has to be paid for again and again. Hebrews 10.10 says, By this will of God, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I don't know how many of you are, are golf fans, but probably my, my favorite golf tournament to watch is the Masters. And if you ever watch the Masters, one thing that's interesting about it is if you win it one time, you get a lifetime exemption to play in that tournament for as long as you want. Back in 1957, there was a man named Doug Ford who won the Masters. He was a surprise winner, ended up winning the Masters. He played every year from that point on until the year 2001. 1957 to 2001. Here's what's interesting about that. He never broke par at Augusta National from 1958 on. And yet he always played. From 1971 to 2001, over 30 years, he never made the cut. But he was always able to play in that tournament. Why? Because of one time, of a one-time event. When he won, he was given a lifetime exemption. Guys, here's the correlation. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, one time, you and I get a lifetime exemption. We always will belong to God. It has nothing to do with our performance, but everything to do with His. So, so what does redemption mean for us? Well, there's freedom, there's forgiveness. And that's the last thing I want you to see. It's all about generosity. Verse number 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You know, it is very clear as you go throughout the Bible that redemption is not something you earn. It's not something that you deserve. Redemption only comes about because of what God has done. In verse number 7, it tells us that our redemption comes according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Those words, according to, are very important words. Now, Jesus could have redeemed us out of his riches, but it says he redeemed us according to his riches. Okay, now, now what is the difference? Well, it's, there's a big difference. You know, if, if Bill Gates gives, gives, gives a tip to someone, he gives that out of his riches. You know, I'll give you $5. If he gives according to his riches, that's generosity. It would be like getting a $50,000 tip. I mean, I'd, I'd go for that. So there's a big difference between out of his riches and according to his riches. When Jesus paid for your sinfulness, he did so according to his riches. And it says that he did so lavishly. That word lavish, it means out of his overflow. It means abundantly. It's like, that, it's like, it's like he gave you a bank account that will never run dry. No matter how much you take out of it, you always will have more. Does that sound like a good bank account? I mean, that, is, that is how God has paid for you. He's done it lavishly. It will never run dry. 
Ephesians 3, 17 through 20 says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now, let me ask you a question. How rich do you think God is? How rich do you think he is? Psalm 24.1 gives us a pretty good idea. It says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. But before you receive his riches, you have to give yourself to him. Now, in, in one sense, that's scary because you think, well, I'm going to lose my freedom if I do that. If I give myself to God, I'm not going to have any fun anymore. Guys, let me tell you something. If you give yourself to God, it is the greatest investment you can ever imagine. There's an old story. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. I'd like to think that it is. Uh, there's a man and his son who loved art. He was a wealthy man, and he had uh, paintings of Picasso. He had Raphael's in his house. And people would come over and look at his paintings and this is back in the 60s. And his son ended up being drafted, and he went to the Vietnam War. While he was in Vietnam, he ended up being killed trying to rescue another soldier. Father received the news. He was devastated. And about a month later, there was a soldier that showed up at his door, a young man. He knocked on the door, and he said, Sir, I am the man that your son saved. He said, I don't know how to tell you thank you. He said, I just know that you and your son loved art. He said, So I painted a portrait of your son. Father looked at the painting of his son. It really wasn't that great of a painting, but he was captured by his eyes, and the father loved the picture. And so he took that painting, he hung it over his mantle. And every time people would come over, he would always show them that painting first. And this is my son. Well, after a while, the, the father died, and there was an auction for his estate. People came because they knew he had great artwork. And the very first painting that went up for auction was the painting of his son that wasn't all that good. Everybody just sitting there, and the auctioneer said, I'd like to start the bidding at $100. Nobody made a bid. Gardner for the estate came in, and he knew how much that father loved the painting, and he said, I'll, I will bid $100. Nobody else made a bid, and so he banged the gavel, and he said, it's sold. He said, the auction is now concluded. Everybody sat there and said, what about the other paintings? So we came here for the Raphaels, we came here for the Picassos. And he said, the stipulation in the will was, Whoever takes the son gets it all. Yeah, that's the same thing with God. He said, whoever takes the son gets it all. So my question for you today is, are you willing to take the son? Because you see, the, the son brings redemption. And redemption, it means freedom. It means forgiveness. It means you get to experience the generosity of God. It is an ancient term, but it still matters. Redemption matters for your life today. And the question is, will you take the sun? It is well. It is well.